<coughs> oh, okay, first uh, let's read the benefit of refl- studying, reflecting, and meditating on emptiness. Arya <coughs> Navarjuna's fundamental wisdom of the middle way, and theories by great compassion, you taught the immaculate teaching in order to eliminate all wrong views. To you, the Buddha Gautama, I prostrate. Given by the precious child Sutra, Majushri reverently sensitive the doubt to this rendition of the teaching generates much greater positive potential than a Bodhisattva who lacking skill and means practices the six professions for a hundred thousand eons. This being so, what need is there to say anything about a person who listens without doubt? What need is there to say anything about a person who imparts the scripture and harasses it and also teaches it and extensively to others? The treasury of the One Daskon Sutra. A living being who possessing all these ten great non virtues enters into the doctrine of selflessness and is faith and belief that all phenomena are from the beginning pure does not go to a bad rebirth. Chapter on Subduing Devil Sutra. If any Bhikshu realizes that all phenomena are absolutely pacified and the beginning of the defilement is devoid of self-nature, it will remove the guilt of having defilements and make the defilements unstable. This deems even the immeasurable negativity is dysfunctional, let alone the secondary wrongs done associated with ethics and rituals. Ari Devas wanted. Those with less merit will not even have a doubt in this dharma of ultimate reality. Should a doubt ever arise in someone, it will shatter samsara into pieces. Chandrakirti's entry into the middle way. Upon hearing about emptiness, even while an ordinary being, whoever repeatedly gives rise to inner joy, and this joy brings tears that moisten the eyes, and the hairs of the body stand in him or her is present the seed of wisdom of the perfect Buddhahood. Chandrakirti's entry into the middle way. They always abide in ethical disciplines. They engage in generosity, cultivate compassion, meditate on patience, and fully dedicate the virtues of these towards enlightenment for the sake of liberating searching beings. They respect the completed bodhisattvas. <coughs> In fact, uh, what I'd like to tell you is that the study, reflection, and uh, meditation on emptiness is really very precious. That, you know, uh, there's always a tendency for all forms of obstacles coming in the way. All forms of obstacles, you know. So yesterday, (coughs) we were doing this, and then... Uh, seems like, you know, it's like another, just another academic studies. But in true sense, you know, this is very, very, very different from any other, um, the academic studies. You know, if you think carefully, then we see that there can be all forms of obstacles coming, you know, to this. Uh, because say if you if you are rich, then there's a danger that robbers can break break into your house. Where if if you are poor, even if you ask the robbers, please come. 
what will they say? Look, I don't get anything. Rather, I have to spend something for that. You know, I have to waste time going in that you know, empty house. What for should I go there? You know, even if you ask me, and if you even if you give me fifty dollars, I won't. Even if you give me hundred dollars, I won't. Because in that time, I can do more. I can, you know, get billions of dollars from a bank. So look, you know, so this teaching being so precious, so precious, and oftentimes I've been telling you that, you know, I have no understanding of this, and by this I mean it, you know. It's not something that uh, you study it and then you get it like that. It is really very precious. Once you get it, it's really amazing, really amazing. That's going to be the true guide at all times. That's going to be the chief consoler at all times. That's going, be, that's going to be the best of your friend at all times. And even if you, if you go away from it, it's a different case. Otherwise, under any situation, whether you are in the moments of joy, whether you are in the moments of sadness, low-spiritedness, or whether you are in the moments of fear, you know, desolate, destitute, any kind of situation, this friend of the wisdom of emptiness, if you are able to cultivate, it will never separate from you. It will never give up you. You know, it will always accompany you. It will always be there to console you. It will always be there to give strength to you. Right. So, this is the beauty, this is the strength, and this is what is our final guide to enlightenment. <clears throat> so, of course, you know, so therefore, when we read uh, this one, uh, the Chandrakirti's, the, the last line, uh, they respect the completed Bodhisattvas. So, that this is the very reason, you know, those people who cherish emptiness, they respect the Bodhisattvas so much. Because it is through the Bodhisattvas, it's the Bodhisattvas who cherish the emptiness view, you know. So when you respect them, when you truly pay respect to them, these Bodhisattvas, in some other ways or indirectly, you know, uh, you are respecting this view of emptiness. So it is through this respect that you receive the benefit. You know, it is only if you have respect you have the keenness in it. When you have a keenness in it, in it, you become receptive to it. Once you become receptive to it, then, you know, you are not closed. You know, you, you ask, you know, you look for this understanding of emptiness. So there's a possibility that the wisdom of emptiness can happen in you. Right? Okay. And also in the first answer, uh, Arinagarjuna's fundamentalism of the middle way, enthused by great compassion, you, the Buddha, taught the immaculate teaching. What is that immaculate teaching? Teaching on the wisdom of emptiness. In order to eliminate wrong views, to you, the Buddha, the Buddha Gautama, I prostrate. So here again, look, Arinagarjuna, you know, considered, revered as the second Buddha. In fact, he is making prostration to Buddha for what? Not for the Buddha's, you know, teaching about impermanence. Not for the Buddha's miraculous powers, you know, displaying the miraculous powers. But he's so captivated, Arinagarjuna is so captivated 
being so compassionate, affectionate towards the sentient beings, and seeing that it is the Buddha's medicine, bringing up this medicine, the panacea, you know, the medicine of the wisdom of the emptiness, that the beings are liberated. So seeing that, Aranyavarjuna only then submitted to Buddha Shakyamuni. You know? So look, even these great masters, Aranyagarjuna. So he submitted to the Buddha, saying that, oh, you have taught this immaculate teaching, the teaching of the wisdom of emptiness, which, the, which is the only panacea to heal the problems and the sickness of <coughs> samsara within all sentient beings. So to you, the Buddha, I make frustration. This is what he said. So, with that in mind, so this morning, actually on my part, you know, after doing my own practice in these things, just coming out, I saw the sun, just the sun shining so directly. I was so pleased, you know. So this is a very auspicious sign. And then entering into the hall, I see that there's no camera. You know, for what? Because the, the, the tapes finished. Look, this, these are obstacles, you know. So, <coughs> obstacles can come in any form. For example, Venerable Chugi yesterday, you know, so days before, you know, a few days earlier, she was really making sure that, you know, she gets this teaching complete. She was telling me, oh, um, you know, she was already worried days before. What, I'm leaving on 9th, 9th morning, uh, and then, you know, or, uh, say she was a little bit confused. Uh, 9th afternoon, she thought, you know, she was leaving around um, 10 or like that. And then, she said, oh, what, if you're unable to finish that on 8th, you know? Then I said, oh, so let's see if you can do that in the morning of the 9th. And then she said, oh, she, that should be so nice. But then what, if you're not, you know, if you cannot have the class in the morning? And then she said it, and then I said, don't worry. You know, soon after this class, the eight, uh, the eight, the class, and in the evening, you know, I can uh, do the remaining part just for you. So this is what we decided. And then look, yesterday she couldn't turn out. You know, I can discover the problem later on. She was crying. So look, these are all the obstacles. So we are not to take these teachings so easily. It's really very precious because, as I said earlier, the burglars will break in only if the house is rich. So this is so rich and obstacles in the form of, the burglars in the form of obstacles, you know, they can easily break in anytime. So we should be strong. So how to be strong? is by accumulating enough merit, you know. And the best way to be, the best way to accumulate merit is by being kind towards all other sentient beings. By kind, particularly to the poor, particularly to those needy ones. You know, why? Because, the, you know, the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, they will be most happy with you if you accomplish the deed that they are doing, and what is their deed to benefit sentient beings? You know, so if you can do that, then they will be most happy.
by making them most happy, you accumulate the greatest merit. Right? And in fact, I'm really very pleased with all the members of Abhi Sravasti to, you know, in showing a deep sense of kindness towards Venerable Shigi. I noticed that. I'm so impressed. You know, so, uh, of course, she's highly learned in terms of her knowledge. I'm really very impressed. But because of the disability of the body, you know, uh, I heard that many people in other places, they tend to simply, you know, because knowing that nothing can, in, they can get nothing from her, you know, they simply abandon her. That's really very sad. This is not the way the, the, the Dharma practitioners should be doing. That's really very sad. You know, the Buddhists and Bodhisattvas, when they see that, they really feel so sad. You know, so, if they were there, they would never say no. When somebody comes to knock at, you, at your door, with a sincere, you know, wish to seek your help, the Buddhists and Bodhisattvas will never, will never let a person go empty-handed. You know, so they'll embrace all sentient beings with tremendous love. So we all do, if you're genuinely interested in this Dharma of the emptiness, which alone is the true Dharma, then we need to accumulate, we need to make ourselves strong to be a proper vessel for this teaching. And how to be strong is by supported by, by wisdom and uh, the merit. And what is the best way, easiest way to accumulate merit is by being compassionate towards others, and particularly the poor ones. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, so now to recap, uh, recapitulate what we did earlier a bit, or to review a bit of what we did earlier. Um, object of knowledge we divided into uh, into functional things and non-functional things, and the functional things again we divided into forms and non-forms, <coughs> forms the physical forms and the non-forms the minds, right? And then in the case of the forms, we we first of all establish that. You know, uh, however much we may try to look for a subtle particle, we cannot locate to a subtle particle which is partless in nature, directionally partless in nature. So this is what we have decided, or we have come to conclusion. And with the non-forms such as minds, again we uh, came to realize that we cannot really find any um, temporarily partless moments of minds. So however subtle a subtle moment of mind, still it can have, it has more temporal parts. So this is what we have decided. And then on top of that, we also come to, we also come to discern that uh, the, the, the whole, the, the table and the parts, you know, the whole and the parts. So here the whole, the table and the parts, the top plank of the table, the legs, the screws, you know. So, in terms of the whole and the parts, what is the relationship? So the relationship can be spoke, spoken of on two, two levels. One on the objective level, on one on the subjective level. On the objective level, we realize that the whole and the parts, these two are of the same nature, meaning same entity-wise. However, mentally or nominally, we see that the part, uh, the whole, which is the table, and the parts, out of the millions of the parts of the table, we take just the top plank, the top, uh, the top plank of the, the table. So mentally or nominally, 
we we see that these two are distinct, right? These two are distinct because the top plank, but the top plank is just a flat thing without any legs, you know. And whereas the table, the top plank plus the legs, so this is very different from the mere top plank. So mentally we see that these two are distinct. However, objectively we cannot point to these two distinctly. Objectively, these two are just the same thing. Which means that when you really go to point at the table or the plank of the table, it's just the same, right? Okay. So this is what we have come to understand uh, from yesterday's discussion. And then on top of that, we also uh, come to understand that understand that um, that in terms of the table, you know, the object of analysis, which is the table in our case we see that there is a gap between the appearance and the reality. On the reality level, the table and its parts, these two are of the same nature. These two are just the same. But, you know, appearance level, or the, on the mental level, these two are different. So there is a gap between the reality and appearance. The re what is the reality? Objectively or reality over there, it's just, you know, the table and the parts as one. The same. But what is on the nominal level or on the imputational level? These two are distinct, you know? These two are distinct. So, there's a gap between the, the, the reality and the appearance. So, this union, we're able to understand. That, oh, there's a gap between the reality and the appearance. So, this gap, then we said that this gap is possible in, a case, in the case of an object which is falsity which is false in nature, because false connotes, you know, false connotes disparity between the appearance and the reality. And whereas, if the object is truly existent, true, as opposed to being false, then this gap between the reality and the appearance is not permissible. So this is what we have learned yesterday. But in the case of table, you know, since there is this gap between the appearance and the reality, so even though we, know, we may not necessarily understand what, you know, how the table is false or not truly existent, still, you know, according to the logic that we have learned so far, has brought to us to this point, arrived at this conclusion, that because there is a disparity between the appearance and the level, uh, uh, sorry, the reality and the appearance, in the case of the table, the table must be false. It is not true. So this is uh, where we, you know, um, where we... <coughs> arrived yesterday. And then on top of that, yesterday I vaguely told you about, you know, as to what is the, the meaning of decept deceptive mode of existence, false mode of existence, and what is true mode of existence. So here, uh, Lama Tsongkhapa in, in the fourth para, while this union finds no inconsistency with the deceptive mode of existence where things are posited through the power of the appearance to mind. So look here. Things where things are posited through the power of the appearance to mind. This is the definition or the meaning of the decept deceptive or the false mode of existence. And then it says, it is objectively not feasible for an object whose mode of existence is not through the power of the object's, uh, object's appearance to mind. So here, not through the power of the object's appearance to mind is the meaning of true existence. This is what we have learned yesterday. And then, um, Kathleen came with a question as to a question, 
you know, or with uh, asking as to clarify, you know, just to give clarification, just to make it more clear as to what it, what it meant by an object, you know, uh, whose mode is, uh, whose mode of existence is through the power of objects appearance to mind and not through the power of the objects appearance to mind. This is what she asked, you know, to clarify. <clears throat> so look, if I, um, you know, explain further, then I think this will become quite clear, right? Okay, <coughs> say, um, you know, you try to, you try to understand the table in two ways. So far, so far. We now look, fortunately we are doing this in the morning. Of course it is more fresh, number one. And number two, knowing that, you know, this is really very challenging topic. And also knowing that it has lots of obstacles. And one of the worst of the obst obstacles can be that everything is so conducive and mentally you get distracted. This is the worst. You know, so then the topic is, you know, so obscured and very subtle and then simply, you know, your mind scattering for a moment, you know, can miss a lot of this topic. So be attentive and be really, you know, be there, alert. <clears throat> okay, so, so far, so far, Again, but it doesn't mean that, you know, oh look, if I am not alert, you know, I would miss something, then, oh, don't panic. <laughs> Be relaxed, but make sure that your mind is not distracted by the, you know, very discursive thoughts of, oh, I have to do something after this, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, you know. So, of course, I understand if you have, yeah, yeah, this job, very similar, yeah. Uh, but, <clears throat> you know, those who have not, so, as long as you got a, as long as you, you know, really don't do something, you're here. Once you're here, make sure that your mind is here. Right? So, but it doesn't mean that you should be so stressful, you know, so patient, not like that. In a relaxed way, be happy in a happy state, listen to it, and just simply make sure that your mind is following what Lama Tsongkhapa is saying. That's it. Right? Okay. Now, so far, so far, so far, what we've learned is that, say, by uh, taking table as an example, so far what we've learned is to learn something about the table, about the mode of existence of the table. How does the table exist? You know? So for that, there is no way other than to include both understandings. Knowing about the table on the basis of the objective reality, which means where you try to point to the, the table, one. And also, you know, we must take into consideration how our mind reacts to the table, how our mind plays a role in the existence of the table, you know. So these two must be taken into consideration. Without these two, your understanding of the table is not complete. How? Look. Say, you know, 
when you talk to someone, oh, I want to buy a table. Can you please help me? And the shopkeeper would say that, oh, he's right over there, you know. And uh, I also want to have a table with uh, such and such design, with the the with the top part, you know. It's not like bent. It should be flat, absolutely flat, you know. So, and then you go. The, the shopkeeper will come and say, oh, this is the table. This is the the table with the absolutely flat, you know. Uh, top part is not bent, is not curved like that. It's absolutely flat, and he will point to you know. Look, this is this is the the top flat part, and say, and then where's the table? It's right here. So then shopkeeper will point at the same thing. So this means that objectives. So the shopkeeper is trying to tell you when you deal with the shopkeeper about the table. You know, you're also trying to know something about the table. So there, you are not thinking in terms of what is coming to your mind, but really coming, really trying to point to the external table. You know, so this is one way of understanding the table. Number one. So from that perspective, the table and the table parts, these two are just the same. You know, objectively, from the object side, when you try to point to, which means when you try to point to, we see that the table and the table's parts. These two are just the same, right? This, according to philosophy, we have we have termed it as what the same entity-wise, right? Okay. However, you know this alone is not sufficient. So from that point of view, the table and the top part of the table, the parts of the table, these two should be same. But, you know. Again, if you if you say that these two are exactly the same, again we face problem. Because when you speak about the table, we must take into consideration the legs as well, not just the the top part. Whereas the top plank, you know, we can forget about the legs. So these two are not exactly the same. But in order to understand this level of the the table, to understand the table on this level. We must then bring into consideration our mental, the role of our mind, into you know, to understand the table. So what is that? You know, so the table and the parts of the table can be separated only on the mental level. The table and the parts of the table can be separated only on the mental level. On the real objective level, we see that the table and the, the table parts, these two are just the same. You know, so this means that to understand table, we must think of that to have a complete understanding of the table. Was one must take into consideration the the mode of existence of the table on the objective level. You know, on the objective level, you know, because try, without trying to bring in that, then you cannot really deal with the shopkeepers. You know, the shopkeepers so shop. <laughs> If what what would you think? You already ha- you all you have already paid money, one hundred dollars to the shopkeeper, and the shopkeeper is supposed to tell uh, sell the um, table with the top uh, you know the top part absolutely flat, and then if the shopkeeper tells you, oh look, it is there in your mind, <laughs> you have already paid your money, <laughs> will you be happy? No. Yeah. 
So this means that it's not something, it's not completely, you know, uh, okay to simply think about mind. The, what is there in the mind? The, the real table. Objectively also. Then he has to really come there and point to, uh, this is the, the table, and look at this top part. It's absolutely flat, you know. So objectively, the shop people point to. Without this, we wouldn't be happy. This one way. One. Now, this alone is not sufficient. Because, if you say that the table and the top part of the table is exactly the same, again, if you want, if the shopkeeper simply brings the top part without legs, you know, again, this is not sufficient. Which means that the table and the, the table and the parts of the table, you know, on the external level or objective level, these two are just the same. But we have the table and the, the top part of the table as distinct, you know, because we should also, there is some degree of truth in it that the table and the top part of the table, these two are distinct. A mind says it. Just as a mind says it, you know, it has some element of truth in it. Why? Because, you know, if these two are just one, then the, someone bring, bringing just the top part of the, the table without the legs, then you have to say this, you know, table. So, look, what mind says is that the table and the top part of the table, these two are different. This has also some degree of truth. You know, it's not just exactly one. But objectively, we cannot really point to two different things. This is also, there's also some truth in it. You know, there's also some truth in it. When we say that the table and the, the table parts, these two are one or the same, objectively. Mentally, these two are different. This is also some truth, you know. So, now look. Now look. So, it is just one or two lines, and now look how profound it is. Now look, be attentive. Okay. Now look. To understand the table well, we must... To understand the table well, or to understand the table completely, we must take into consideration objective value as well as the mental value. You know, mental designation, at the, sorry, what mind says. You know, some truth in what mind says. The mind saying that the table and the parts of the table, these two are distinct. This is also some truth in it. So we cannot discard the mind from describing the table. Nor can we describe, we can, nor can we disc, uh, discard the objective, you know, the table. So, we must bring into these two in order to understand the table completely. Right? Now look, what? If the table exists independently or truly, now this is the point. If the table exists independently or truly, which means that it is independent of the designating mind. Let me repeat it. If the, t the table exists independently, the way it appears to a mind, again, to, to go back 
to what we said of how the table appears to our mind. Again, let me ask you, how does this table, look at this table first. Look at this table and how does it appear to you? Does it appear to you as though like your mind is the projector? It is projecting this table out there. Or it is appearing as though it's right there and it's saying, I'm here. Yeah, it's the second way. Which means that it is independent. It appears to our mind as though it is independent of our subjective imputation. It appears to our mind as though this table exists independently of the mind's role. This is what is known as independent existence or true existence of the table. Now, with these series of logics and reasonings, we try to reject this. And now we have come to understand that, that, you know, that in order to understand the table completely, we must take into consideration both the parts, the objective part and the subjective part as well. You know, now look, if the table does exist the way it appears to a mind, as though saying, I'm right here, you know, which means, which means, the mode of existence of the table is independent of the role of a mind. Right? Which means, the mind has no power whatsoever contributing to the existence of the table. It says that I'm independent, I'm right here. Right? Which means I'm independent of you, the mind. And it kicks off the mind away from it for its existence. So the mind has no power, the mind has no authority for the existence of this table. Right? Now imagine, we get rid of the mind away from this house. We get rid of all these minds which, has nothing to, which have nothing to do with the, the existence of the table. Who says that I'm, I, I exist independently, I'm right here. You know, we get all the minds away because they have nothing to do with you, with this table. Right? Now look, if the mind has nothing to do with the table, tell me if you're finished writing. Okay. If the mind has nothing to do with this table, if the mind has no authority whatsoever in contributing to the existence of this table, then the mode of existence of the table should be 100% the way it exists from the object side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If that is the case, then out of the two, you know, out of the two modes, the objective, objective, um, the ways of existence of the table and the minds coming into, you know, they're coming into role, you know, playing a role here, perceiving the table and the table pass as distinct, you know, it has nothing to do with the table, get rid of that. Which means that whatever is the table should be described, one should be able to describe it fully, describe the table fully on the basis of what is there, objectively. So objectively, when you try to point to, what did we say? The point, the, the table, and a part of the table, these two are just the same. You know? 
which means that you know the table and the parts of the table should be exactly the same because the mind who says that the, the table and the parts of the table these two are distinct is a mind and yet the mind has no authority just we have already you know the, the table says they go out table says the mind you go out you have nothing to do with my you know coming into being so then everything the mode of existence of the table has to be accounted for on the basis of you know the objective mode of the existence what is that objective mode of existence the table what we said the table we said the reality and the appearance you know so don't mistake the reality appears in the other senses try to be very strict just stick to what we have been saying what we have been following the guidelines of lama tsongkhapa's instruction from this extract so what is the reality in this sense the table yes exactly exactly the table and the table spots from the object side these two are indistinguishable these two are just the same you know mm-hmm. and from the mental side these two are distinct mm-hmm. now this distinct part is lost mm-hmm. the same nature. The same nature. so same nature mm-hmm. so we very good question do you follow yeah. her question her question okay yeah very good be attentive very good very good question you know so far we have been saying that oh the table and the the parts of the table these two are of the same nature why since what does it mean the same nature on the object level these two are same these two are one because look you know where's the table it's right here where's the top part of the table it's right here the same exactly the same i pointed to exactly the same so you know since that the sameness and the distinctness can be spoken of on two levels objective level and the mental level so to make the distinction between the two we set the first one as the same nature and the second one as the nominally distinct otherwise you know on the object level it's exactly the same where's the table it's right here or say hey where is your body it's right here where are you here and i pointed to the same thing or if you find it difficult i will simply you know i'll not move my finger where's the body is here where are you is here just the same you know so from objectively these two are just the same and who said that these two are different is the mind because in your mind when it says i there's a feeling of the mental aspect as well physical aspect as well but when you say my body it has no element of mental it's just a physical so the mind says that these two are distinct but now this table has been so you know uh, so boastful saying that you know you mind go away you have nothing to do with me you know i exist on my own look so if that is really the fact if the table truly exists that way then the mind has nothing to do just kick out the mind if you kick away the mind then you should be able to explain everything 
on the basis of the objective existence. On the objective existence level, the table and a possible table needs to do just one. Right? So, now, are these two exactly one? This problem. You know? So, because the mind, and who says that these two are distinct? And if you say that, well, these two are distinct, it's your mind who said it. And the mind is no authority. You know, for the existence of the table. So the mind doesn't play any role. So, say for example, you know, say for example, Kevin is, is so good in, you know, frying the, uh, the frying the vegetables and these things. Without him, no one can even put on the stove. And then whereas, our Kathleen is so good in cutting him into pieces. And then everybody says that, oh look, you know, Kevin is, Kathleen is so good in making food, we, we, don't, we don't need Kevin, you know, then we kick him away. And Kevin said, okay, let's see, let's see if you can manage on your own, let Kathleen do everything. And Kathleen, you know, Kathleen came up and then chopped all these vegetables so well. Even the five-star hotel chef was so amazed and then got stuck. And then she, you know, put everything in the plate and displayed it on the table. <laughs> with the onions and everything, with the oils and all these things. What? It's not fried. I don't know how to fry. <laughs> this is the ability that I have, you know? So, and you said, you, you kicked Kevin away. So what do you do? You know? So this is it's, it's incomplete. It's incomplete. So there's no real food there. You know? So likewise, so say, just as for the proper food to come about, we need Kathleen and Kevin both. So similarly, you know, to have the understanding of the table complete, we must have to have, you know, the, the understanding on the basis of the objective table spot and understanding of the, uh, on the basis of the mental imputation, both. But how does the table appear to us? It, appear to, it appears to us as so like it's so independent of our mind, saying that mind has nothing to do with me. Kick them away. You know? So we get rid of all the mind, don't give any authority to the mind, and then let's see if the table can exist. You know? So when we see that, then since the mental imputation, since the subjective role is eradicated, is eliminated aside, so we should be able to account for the table everything on the basis of whatever is there, you know, objectively. Although objectively, what we said, what we understood, we understood that the table and its parts is just one. You know? Okay. So, are they exactly one? If you say exactly one, it's just a part. No table. You know? If they're exactly one, then what we see, object, we, we, let's see, Where's the table? It's here. You point to just a small part of the table. You know, this is just a part of it. You pick it up. Is this table? No. no. Oh, it's here. You pick it up. Is this table? No. So objectively, we only find parts. And we said that, you know, objectively, you cannot locate to a table other than the parts. It's just the parts. When we say objectively, the table and the parts, these two are the same, it simply means that when you go to point to where the, uh, where the table is, it is just the parts that you are going to find. 
you know so object we only find parts so and the mind with the poor mind who says that the the table and the parts is so different we you know we uh, simply extracted his power away he, we have taken power, his power away so he has no power you know the mind we have already taken aside so the table we only find parts then because you know these are what objectively is set up at the, the table and yet in true sense each of these parts they are not the table so you know aside these different from these we don't have table because it is only the mind who said that the table is different from these parts and mind has no authority you know now look where is the table if we don't include mind you know mind into the existence of the table if we exclude it away from the scene of the table then where is the table it's just a parts because we said that objectively the parts and the table these two are just one you know which means that it's just parts so where is the table so but the table did say to us that i'm right here now where is that thing who said that i'm right here it's lost it's not there you know so we see that as you go closer and closer towards the table you know trying to go away and away from the mind we see that we only start finding the parts and not the table and the table is lost so then it's like Kathleen having cut all these chops you know chopped all these vegetables so beautifully and then displaying all these vegetables there on the table without being fried without being cooked and everybody complaining <laughs> and Kathleen said you know look it's not me it's you who kicked out Kevin so similarly you know then the table start complaining I'm lost now you know and then you say it's not us it's you who said i exist so independently and you made us exclude the mind you know so by excluding the mind away from the table then we see that we only find the parts none of which is the table so you know if the table does exist the way it appears to us as so solid so independently independent of our mind then we see that through these analysis it's just a parts there's no table but then are these parts the table no then don't doesn't the table exist it does exist this means that it is not exactly one with with its parts but then you know who said it it is under whose power that we ha- we get the uh, we get the authority to say that the table is not it is different from the parts is a mind and yet the mind is no authority so what the mind says is wrong so the table is not different from the parts because the mind says that it is different and we said the mind is wrong so go away so this means that the table and its parts should not be different we should be exactly the same exactly the same means it's just a parts and parts on the table unfortunately so where is the table 
Look, so now, you know, so when you really don't like to eat, you know, these potatoes um, uncooked, then you have to call Kevin again. You know, so similarly, when you get stuck there, only the parts, and no self, no table, then we have to call, oh, who said that there is the table exist? The table is different from these parts. It is the mind, calling the mind. You know, so then we come to know that the table exists only through the power of the mental imputation. It is the mind coming to play for the existence of the table. It is not something 100% objectively from the table side. It is the mind imputing us. Now look, what happens at this point is that, look, there's some kind of, you know, the clouds or the haziness disappearing, something clear coming, but in the overall speaking, again still it says, I'm here. You know, so there's a clash. There's a clash happening in your mind. Through these reasonings, we see that if you take this mind away, there's no table, it's just lost. But, you know, when you think of overall, again the innate, you know, very the boastful thinking that you know ignorance coming into very strongly without any you know basis of reasonings strong saying that I'm here you know the table exists so independently so there's a clash in your mind when there's a clash in your mind happening the indication is that there's a little bit of uneasiness in your mind mm -hmm. if that's happening there's a clash happening this is good without this clash this ignorance will, you know, always say no, no to you. And you have to always say yes to him, right? Now with this clash, you will start to say no to this ignorance. And again, you keep on reflecting the same way, more and more and more. And then you become stronger and stronger and stronger. And then the clash, you know, at one point, it becomes also stronger and stronger and stronger because of which this the unhappiness increases in you. This is not a bad sign. It's a good sign. You know, without this clash, the negative side, the ignorance will never surrender. You know, you have to clash with it. But you keep on giving food to this wisdom, to this understanding. How do we do that? Keep on relying on Lama Tsongkhapa's text. Keep on, you know, get inspirations from the first part, you know, the benefits of the emptiness, studying, the, studying reflecting and meditating on emptiness. Keep on reading these, keep on studying more of the, on the logics and reasons to establish emptiness. Keep on studying, reflecting and meditating and the wisdom is being strengthened all the time. And at, at one time, at one point, this wisdom will say, this wisdom will simply override, you know, simply outshine the ignorance. And then you will, instead of this feeling of uneasiness, there's a deep sense of joy which we have never ever experienced since Pilgrim's time until now. There's a dawning of a genuine, very peaceful sense of joy the very presence of which can bring tears in the eyes. It's so supple, it's so pliant, it's so peaceful.
not like the joy, the mundane joy. The mundane joy, while see, you know, seeming to be joy, uh, pleasurable, but there's mental, you know, mental disturbance accompanying that. But it's very different. The joy here is so peaceful, pliant, and gentle, and yet very profound. You have really found the chocolate there. Right? Okay. Now look. Where's the self? The body. Instead of the table, now you switch onto the self. Where's the self? The body and the mind. And how does this self appear to you? How do you appear to you? Just ask yourself. And I said earlier, right from the beginning, this self is so bad. When you want it, it'll go away. It'll hide away. When you don't want it, it'll come so strongly and push you to do negativities. It's so bad. So what you should do is that it is like a spoiled child. Now you should train this self and bring it under your control. Whenever you don't want it, let it go away. When you want it, let it surrender, submit under you. So how to do that? Always try to think of this. Always try to call him. Always try to make him unhappy by calling him. How do I look? How do I appear to myself? Think of yourself. And you'll try to go away. And still you try to drag it towards you. How do I appear to myself? And then gradually it becomes clearer and clearer to you as to how you appear to you. And then, you have found this object, which is to be analyzed, whether it exists independently or by the power of the mind. Right? And then, try to apply the same logic. What is this? Is this with parts or is partless? This self. Of course, it's with, with part. The body and the mind. Because we say, oh, today I'm sick which means your body is sick. Or today I feel so fresh, it means your mind is fresh. So, you are nothing but composed of the body and the mind. Now look, are these two one? The self and this body. First examine with the body. The self and the body, are these two one? Or different? Or objectively, you know, from the object side, it is one. Or where is your body? It's here. Where are you? I'm here. You point to the same thing. So objectively, the body and me, these two are just the same. But if I say these two are identically the same, again there's a problem. Because, you know, mentally we have these two different. When you comes to your mind, it comes with the faculties, with the features of the mind as well, the body and the mind both. When, you, when your body comes to your mind, it only comes in the form of physical form, independent of the mental features, right? So this self and the physical body of mind, these two are distinct in the eyes of my mind. But objectively, these two are just the same, right? So there's a gap between the appearance and the reality. And this gap between the appearance and reality can be possible 
if this object of analysis, the self, is deceptive, is false, is is faulty in nature, but this gap cannot be possible if I exist truly. You know. So following all these reasons, what I'm saying right now is trying to follow the reasons set, you know, for the Lama Tsongkhapa. And then say, you know, again, you know, recall that how this self appear to you. Does it appear to you as though like, you know, it is projected by your own mind and say, I'm here? Or I'm saying that I'm right here, independent of the mind. Of course, it appears that way, that I'm right here, you know. I'm so solid. I'm the most important person in this earth. You know, the most important person. Right? I'm right here. Not a body. My body is my object. My mind is my object. I'm the, the possessor. I'm here. You know, and then see if this is right. Which means that mind has nothing to do with it. It is not created by mind. It's right here, so solidly. Take out the mind which imputes it. Take out the mind. Take out all the minds. Because they have no authority. They have nothing to do with this existence of the self. Take out all the mind. Then you examine. Taking out all the minds, you know, taking the minds, all, all minds away from this, uh, uh, this self, then we are only left with the past of the self. Because then, to explain the self, we have to explain only on the basis of how, you know, it exists objectively. Because the mind is taken away. And objectively, we said that the, the body and the self is just one. Similarly, the, the self and the mind is just one. The mind, in the form, not in the form of the imputer, imputer but in the form of the, the parts, you know, the constituent of the self. This was just one, you know, objectively. So, you know, the self, which means that although we talk about this self, very important self, but in reality, if you take away the mind, which imputes something as a self, you know, then we, what we find is just parts. The body and mind. Is this body the, the self? Is this mind the self? No. Where is it that self? Which, you know, which appeared to be so monolithic, which appeared to be so solid, independent. Where is that? You know? If you take the imputing mind aside, then we are left with only these parts. The body and the mind. And the body is not self, the mind is not self. Where is this self? You know, then lost. So then, don't you exist? Don't say no. You do exist. But to say you do exist, you have to call Kevin again. <laughs> you have to call the mind which imputes, you know. Which says that, oh no, you as a person and your body, these two are distinct. It is only the mind who said it. And objectively, no. You know, you simply point to the, the body when you say, where, she, you know, where are you? You say, it's here. So, it is only by means of this mind that we can come with the idea of the self. If you take away this mind, imputing mind, we have only the parts, and none of these parts is the self. Right? Okay. Still, I know, I know, you know, you're getting something, but still, overall, when you think about it, still, you know, the self really doesn't dissolve. It simply remains so strong, you know. Okay, now look, 
what about you know uh, I think some of the alcoholics if you ask if you instruct them to give a lecture on the demerits of taking alcohol I think they can give marvelous lecture <laughs> you know through their own personal experience after the lecture again the you know the lecturer is found to drunken <laughs> the very next moment you know which means that the person knows fully the faults the drawbacks of taking alcohol and yet that very person is found drunken and you know lying in the trench in the in the tunnel you know the next moment why because of the addiction so similarly although we come to know something about it and then overall thinking again very solid self are coming very solid table coming is because of our addiction to this grasping at inherent existence and this addiction is not just one life addiction you know become an alcoholic is a one life addiction not like whole life not even whole life maybe one year two years three years but this addiction that we have is something so bad addiction since beginningless time until now and we are trying to challenge that so if the alcoholic is unable to challenge that then surely we need to pay more you know <clears throat> or we need to really pay pay more attention to this and must say even if you know even if you're a small kid and if, even if your enemy is a really giant like you should be able to say no you know, of course you can challenge it but even still say no but in that case although the you know to the ignorance which we need to challenge is bigger than the giant and yet we can challenge it because you know we have the support of the wisdom which has a sound ground and this ignorance however big it is however forceful it is it is baseless it is grounded on ice once the ice dissolves this gigantic building will simply collapse you know and how do we dissolve it by the fire of the wisdom and what is that wisdom don't expect you know the buddha all of a sudden coming to you you're sitting for a retreat on aramanjushri omarabasana and then you becoming you know all of a sudden the wisdom coming in you don't expect that aramanjushri can really come with with his blessings to you through you you study this text reflect on this text and meditate on this text only then manjushri's blessing will descend on you right so this way you try to give rise to the the, the fire of the wisdom and the eyes of the ignorance will be dissolved and then everything that is structured you know so beautifully so strongly on top of that there's no way they can retain they will simply crumble down you know however thick the darkness is in this room simply bring a small light in it and this light will illuminate this thick darkness similarly the light of the wisdom will simply remove the darkness of this ignorance altogether right okay so we need to really give thought to it in this connection still we have time in this connection 
let me introduce my friend whose name is Ding Dong. <laughs> you know who is that? Oh, Dinah, you have that water container. Would you mind uh, lending this to me for a while? My friend, yeah, Ting Dong. This is not my friend. Thank you, Diana. So you may be wondering where Ting Tong is coming from. My friend is coming from. You know? <laughs> this is Ting Tong. You're just laughing. This is my Ting Tong. Yeah, my friend Ting Tong, you're laughing. Why are you laughing? Because, because, there's nothing new in it. This water bottle is there, is owned by Diana, and this roaster is what you have been seeing since, you know, last many days. And I simply bring them together, and then I call it Ding Dong. <laughs> and then you stop laughing. So similarly, look. Now look. Now look. This mind that we have, is what came from since beginning of time. And this body is, you know, what we borrow from our parents and combine the two and make itself. And we don't laugh at it. Actually, this is also what is to be laughed. <laughs> okay, look. Why do we laugh at this? At it. <laughs> you know, at it, don't. It's all because that you know, there's nothing new in it. It is simply you know what I created, mentally created. There's nothing new in it. It's just I mentally create. That's it. You know. So similarly, the self. It's just mentally created. There's nothing new in it. The mind is what came from since previous time, and the body is what we bought from our parents. We combine the two and call it self. There's nothing new in it. You know? In short, the self is just what we call it. What comes to our mind, that's it. Nothing beyond. And then, it is such a bad habit since beginningless time that, you know, we tend to, first of all, create something called self and then say that it exists from each side over there. You know? From the object side. So this is deception. So when you when you actually think of Ching Chong, you know, <laughs> there's nothing new. There's just a rosary, and there's just this water bottle. That's it. So similarly, when you think of the self, there's nothing in it. It's just a body and a mind. Is this rosary Ching Chong? <laughs> and this is water bottle? No. You know, you simply bring something, two, two things, under two things, and combine it and call it by some name. You know, other than that, there's nothing new. But unlike the body, unlike the self, unlike this mind, you know, we have a feeling that there's a self which is so solid, which is so independent, not at all coming into being by someone, you know, with the funny sense, you know, calling itself. But when, it's, when I call it Ding Dong, again, we feel it so funny. 
you start laughing at it. Actually, it's the same, exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. You know, this body and this mind come together and we call it self. Actually, we should laugh at it. But this self-grasping mind says, don't laugh at it. I'll destroy it anyway. <laughs> right? <clears throat> okay. So now look. Look. So, now we carry on this, exam- this analysis. Then we, at one point, now look. You know, this is really very important. In a practical, from a practical point of view of, of our meditation. You know, when we undertake this analysis, and bringing Ding Dong also here in the scene, you know. And then we come to know that, look, there's only this part in the mind. When you really try to look at where it is, when you try to the objective reality, we only point to the body or to my mind. The body is it me? The mind is it me? No. Then does the me exist? Yes, the, you know, the me and the body, these two, are these two exactly the same? No, these two are two different things. Who says it? It's a mind. You know? So, you try to bring it. And then objectively, when you try to examine, it's just the parts. If there's no mind playing role in the existence of the self, then it's just the parts. And then you may point to, oh, the body, of course, is not me. But the mind, you know? But the mind is me. Look, again, look, there's a challenge point. Mind. But then again, the, just as this self is so bad in not coming to you when you want it and coming so forcefully when you don't want it, same is the case with your mind. It's so bad. It's so bad. Even worse is the mind than the self. When you want it, you know, it simply disappears like a sky, you know, as though like it doesn't know you. When it you when you don't want it, you know, when you mind you when you want peaceful, then the anger arises in you so strongly, you know, so manifest as low like it has some form, physical form, and making your mind, you know, making your body inside so rigid like that. But you really want that anger, you know, so that you want to see how anger looks like. It simply, you know, says, "I don't know you." It simply goes away in the sky, you know. And that mind doesn't really appear to you. So look, again, this is how we spoil our mind. Again, bring the mind under your control. How? You try to, you know, think of how anger arises in you, how attachment arises in you, you know. So when these negative emotions coming to you quite strongly, then try to, keep, try to observe your mind rather than observing, say, for example, you know, say, if Ting Dong, if Ting Dong says bad thing to you, you know, don't try to point to Ting Tong. Observe yourself. Oh, you know, I'm angry towards Ting Tong. What is this anger? Then you should be thank, uh, you, you should, you should be thankful to Ting Tong for you know letting you, for giving you the opportunity to observe your mind. When anger arises, then simply observe your mind, observe your anger, how it, how it is. Then at that point, you know, it will say that, it will say, I'm right here. And then when you try to observe it, it will try to run away. But because, you know, it's trying to fight with uh, Ting Dong, it has to come. You know? So, you can observe it so clearly. So at that point, you will understand what this, this mind is. 
just a mind which is not physical, which is not physical. There is no physical element in it, and yet in the form of experience, you know, it's not undeniable. It does exist in the form of experience, but not as a physical, tangible thing. So this kind of experience, you will become clearer and clearer and more and more aware of this experiential, you know, the the, the mind in the form of experience as opposed to tangible things. Once you get it, once you get this mind, once you get this self, then examine, you know, if this mind is the self. How does the self appear to you? And who said that the self, you know, who has been so kind to tell you that there is a self? It is the mind. Who says that the mind and the self and a part of the self, these two are distinct. So, then you try to, you know, try to think of how the self appears to the mind. You know, think of that. Think of that. Because we already were successful enough to, you know, to call upon this self when you require it. And then you also think about the, the, the mind. How it appears to you. It's just in the form of experience. Nothing to do with tangible things. And whereas when you think of the self, it has the element of experience and yet it has a very strong element of physicality. You know? So this self and the mind, these two are two distinct things. These two are not just same. You know? Not just same on your experience level. Not same. So this mind, which forms a part of you, is not you. It's not the self. Then where is the self? Again, you know, again, you see that the self disappears. There is no self other than the parts. Then, at that point, look, this is one of the keys. At that point, at that point, to some people, you know, at that point, if the, the meditation that we have been following, you know, has been so well done, and also depends on other factors like, you know, the, your accumulation merit and so forth, then at that point, when you, when you see that it's just a part, there's no self, you know? And then you try to bring in this appearance of the self, like this, and then when you really analyze where it is, it really does exist like this, you know? I'm here, then it should be findable there, when you really try to locate it, we find that it's only the parts, the body and the mind. And where is this? It disappears. It's not really there. It's just deceptive. It's deceptive. So at that point, in some cases, a, a deep sense of fear can come in you. You know? A fear. Because, 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 say, if you have someone to whom you love so much in the, and if this person dies, you will have a great sense of missing the person, loss of the person. There's a fear, there's unhappiness in you. Similarly, among all so far, you know, since beginning of time until now, we cherish the most important object in this universe, entire universe, is what you think of this self. The self as the most cherished, most valuable object on this earth. And you're losing it here. 
when you have a sense of losing the self, you know, there's no self there, then you have a sense of missing the most important object, and there's a sense of fear coming in you. If that happens, it is a wonderful, wonderful success of your meditation. And I'm not saying that you should deliberately, you know, make, create fear in you. No. So in fact, this fear, unlike other fears, this fear will give you a deep sense of joy in you later on. Why this fear? Because so far we have been befriending, we have been relying, trusting this ignorance. This self exists so independently. I'm so independently existent. So you equate, so far we have been equating the independent self and the self. Actually here, the self is not lost. The independent self is lost. But because we have been equating these two, you get feeling that when this independent self is lost, the self also is lost. This is the misconception. It is because of this misconception that the fear arises. However, this fear will not last long because this, you know, misconception is just temporary. You have found the light of wisdom which understands that this independent self does not exist. And yet the experiences, they, tell, they will tell you that the self does exist. So the self does exist but does not exist independently. Then there is a great release, a sense of joy happening in you. So far, our mind has been so, you know, entangled. Our mind has been so constrained and, you know, strangled by this ignorance. And now when you see that such a self does not exist, independent self does not exist, you see that everything, all these, you know, strangling, all these entwinements, they are all unraveled. They are all undone. And there is a deep sense of peace happening in you. Right? And then you see that of all the knowledges, this knowledge of the emptiness of independent inherent self is the greatest knowledge. And the teacher who first found it is the greatest teacher. Lama Tsongkhapa, in his praise, in his praise of the Buddha for his teaching dependent origination, he said that of all the teachers, the teacher who taught dependent origination is the greatest. Of all the wisdoms, of all the knowledges, the knowledge which understands the emptiness of independent existence is the greatest. And through these words, this is what we can experience if we meditate accordingly, right? <clears throat> okay. So, and then, through that, then we try to, once you get a little bit of understanding of this, little bit of understanding of this emptiness of, you know, non-locality of the self, emptiness of this independent self, then we try to explore more about the afflictions. We see that all afflictions, they all arise from this self-grasping mind. It becomes so evident to you. It becomes so evident to you. All afflictions arising from this self-grasping mind. And in fact, you know, all dissatisfactions they are giving rise to 
by these afflictions, disturbing emotions. And all these disturbing emotions, which in turn, which in turn are given rise to by this self-grasping ignorance. You know this so clearly. You'll see as though like everything in the form of video, in the form of movie. There's a real, you know, watching of a movie. It's incredible, incredible. You know, incredible. So once you come to know, start seeing this movie of the internal world, of the minds, then you see that, look, what the Buddha points to, where the Buddha points to, pointing to this grasping at self, inherent self, is the root cause of all suffering. It's very true. Right? And then, all actions that you do, all practices that you do, will naturally be somehow bound to this experience, reflection, meditation, staring of the emptiness. Okay. And then, this must, this must be blended with the practice of bodhicitta. The bodhicitta, the compassionate, the infinite altruism, which embraces all sentient beings equally without any condition, precondition. This must be blended blend with it. And then you see that it is as though like, you know, this wisdom of emptiness that you have guards you from all the, well, what, the forceful and strong enemies. It guards you so strongly, without any fear. And yet, this bodhicitta, which accompanies that, will embrace everyone, including your enemies, which makes you at home. In short, this wisdom of emptiness will guard you from the enemy of afflictions. And this bodhicitta will take you to home. In a home where all other sentient beings, they are like your own children. It's so beautiful. It's so nice. And the mere experience of that, it, just a glimpse of this, can really cause flood of tears coming in you out of joy. Yeah. So hopefully we'll do Bodhisattva one day before I leave. Yeah. Uh, what shall we do? Okay. Oh, we are yet to complete the text. Look, very smart. Thank you. Very smart. Yeah. Okay. So now this is what we have almost done, and yet as an auspicious sign, let me read through. Uh, actually, okay, let's read through. Um, uh, paragraph 4, while this union finds no inconsistency with the deceptive mode of existence where things are posited through the power of their appearance to mind. Now you got slightly? Yeah. Good. It is objective, it is objectively not visible, it's not permissible, this, this gap between the appearance and reality is not permissible or not feasible for an object whose mode of existence is not through the power of the object's appearance or mind, but independent existence. In the case of true existence, which is explained earlier, is not permissible to have inconsistencies 
between the appearance and the mode of existence of the object. Is it clear? Yes. As it is on the basis of the sheer extension of falsities, meaning that true existence should be totally contradictory to falsities, that true existence is posited. As true existence is posited as totally in opposition to falsities. Moreover, it deems the same nature untenable as a mind perceiving them as distinct natures becomes otherwise not mistaken. Meaning, look, so now that we did, you know, everything, it becomes so easy. Look, if the object does exist truly, then the appearance, appearance and the reality should tally. You know, so whatever appears should reflect the reality. So what is the appearance that the, this, the self and the parts, these two are distinct, this is appearance. And the reality should be that, which means objectively they should be the self and the parts distinct. You know, so if that is the case, if that is the case, then it contradicts with what? It contradicts with our previous understanding that the whole and the parts, these two are of the same nature. You know, you give up one of these two. Either you give up what we have already discerned through great effort, that the whole and the parts, these two are the, the same nature, or you give up this, that, you know, uh, that the object truly exists. Of course, out of the two, the object truly exists is to be given up, because this has no proper ground. Whereas the first one we have discerned on the basis of proper reasoning, you know, on the basis with great effort and with great power of reasoning. So you give up one of these two, that is, it is to give up the true existence. It is on the, uh, moreover, it deems the same nature untenable, meaning that, you know, the appearance should reflect the reality which means the reality should be that the two should be distinct, which means what we have discerned of these two as the same nature becomes untenable. As the mind perceiving them as distinct natures becomes otherwise not mistaken, because the reality and appearance should tally. And the appearance where the self and the past as distinct, you know, it should become the reality, you know, it should become non-deceptive. So, distinct natures becomes otherwise not mistaken. Through this understanding, now look, we are done. Through this understanding, by, this, by these, oh sorry, by these, T-H-I-S, uh, this part, the second part, just remove it. By these same reasonings, one refutes true existence upon non-functional objects as well. Okay, oh, this, in this connection, uh, let me share this with you. Now look, you know, with this meditation, you, you know, you get some kind of experience that the self, the person, does not exist, you know, from its own side, objectively. It's, it simply dissolves nowhere, you know. It simply dissolves. You're simply left with parts. And then, where is the self? It's dissolved, you know. Then there's a fear coming. Look. Now, but then, what about the body and the mind? These two are solid there. Again, do the same analysis with the body. Let the body dissolve. Again, no way it, you know, it goes away. Although originally it says, I'm here, although the self is not there. You know? The self is not there, you're right. But I'm here. 
you know again you conduct the same examination with this body and the body will also disappear will deflate it you know again the different parts of the body may say lung the lungs you know your lungs may say that I'm here even the whole body is lost again to the same examination you keep on doing as long as you know there is something telling from the body side one of the parts of the body side telling that I'm here I'm here I'm here keep on applying the reason and then and then at one point it doesn't mean that it will happen just within day, one day you know but at one point in time then instead of yourself you know pushing it's as though like from the object side telling me that now look we are all tired we you know we know that you have already discovered that it is pointless everything that is within us really doesn't exist the way we appear to you so that will come to you when that happens then there's a great sense of relief in you look this is the reality there is no true existence okay this is with the physical body now with the mind again with the mind in fact as compared to the physical body the mind examining the mind is even more powerful you know you examine where this mind is mind with the three segments you know say oh my mind I'm here which where are you and it says I'm here you know I'm here so it assumes again a monolithic a solid structure nothing very simple it can be divided into three parts although it can be divided into millions, millions of parts simply divided into three parts first second third you know that whole mind which says I'm here divided into three parts very simple say when I say I'm here simply dissect this you know these hands away and this you know the skin away then this whole thing which you know which appeared to be so prominent it simply disappears it's not there it's simply our appearance you know similar to this mind which says I'm here you know simply divide them into three because it is the beginning and it is and it is end you know and also <clears throat> they say it, it lasts for one second divide that into three parts of the second you know so say is that whole thing which says I'm here is that one with the you know is that what is the object's reality you know it's just one with these parts three of the parts what is the appearance to our mind it is distinct from these parts you know so if it if it exists the way it appears to us as I'm here then mind has nothing to do with it get rid of this impuring mind then objectively we only find these parts and this whole mind you know which says I'm here is lost what is it which says I'm here I am here you know <laughs> I who said I is lost when it says am when it says am you know when it says here the, who's, uh, the one which says am is lost you know so where is that whole monolithic thing who said I'm here you know who said I is not the one who said M who said M is not the one who said here so where is that one thing who said I'm here again it's just your mental imputation it's not really their point of and again that whole thing which says I'm here is lost or oh, there again the goose pimples really happen you know goose pimples happen and then look still more amazing still more amazing 
Who is that which analyzes the emptiness of the mind? Your own mind. Or oh, this wisdom. Again, the wisdom, you know, it's not the real wisdom. You know, it's the ego who is saying that, look, what, what good I'm doing. And saying that I'm analyzing emptiness. Again, I. The wisdom which analyzes emptiness. Again, divide that into three segments. Where is this wisdom which analyzes the emptiness? The first, second, third. The whole thing, you know, I'm the wisdom. First, second, third. Again, divide that. Again, you, you know, you see that it's not findable. It's not the first one, second one, third one. Carry the same analysis. Don't miss any of the steps given here by Lama Tsongkhapa. Every bit of the step has a great significance. Right? Okay. So with that, when, when you see amazing, really very amazing, look, when you see that even this wisdom which analyzes the ultimate reality, emptiness, it dissolves, then even a greater degree of goose pimples happening. You know, really very amazing. Very amazing. Okay. So, it doesn't mean that, you know, I understand it. It doesn't mean that I've experienced it. So, what I've been sharing with you is according to the authoritative texts such as these things, Lama Tsongkhapa's, and my very kind teachers, and, of course, you know, Buddha Shakyamuni, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Lama Tsongkhapa, and these great masters. So this is what I simply imitate. However, if you really, you know, follow the instruction, study, reflect, meditate on this, surely, you know, surely that you will experience so profoundly. The only thing in my case is such a lazy, indolent, you know, because of these things, while being able to to record what I've learned, you know, what I've heard from my teachers, but unable to really experience them. So in your case, if you really strive hard and diligent, surely you will experience it. So this confidence, the confidence I'm, you know, with confidence I'm saying this, not because of my experience, because of what is said by the highly realized masters, including the Buddhist Shakyamuni. Okay, so we carry on with where we left. Now, through this understanding, by these same reasonings, one refutes true existence upon non-functional objects as well. You know, so we already did it with the functionals, non-functional. Uh, sorry, uh, the forms, non-forms, which is mind, and then also the self, and then you try to extend this to non-functional things, uh, such as the uh, the uncompounded space and so forth. How? Even in the case of non-compounded space, we have to accept that there are some forms where it pervades. Say, oh, the uncompounded space of this, uh, this water bottle inside. The uncompounded space of this room. The uncompounded space to the east. Uncompounded space to the west, and so forth. How? Even in the case of non-compounded space, we have to accept that there are some forms where it pervades. Within that, some pervades the east and others pervade the other directions. By the same token, the ultimate reality also has many pervading parts and has many parts in the sense of being objects of realizations, realizations of various temporal moments of the mind. The emptiness, you know? Even the emptiness of emptiness. You, you know, you might think that you've got emptiness and again you think that emptiness is so inherently existent. Again, this is not true. There's the emptiness of emptiness. So how to do that? 
How to discern the emptiness of emptiness? So Lama Tsongkhapa says that, say, you view emptiness. You say, you know, say you understand emptiness. Or say a Buddha understands emptiness. So the Buddha has, uh, his mind, again, is of, say, we can divide that into three or ten. And it, first moment persists emptiness. Second moment also persists emptiness. Emptiness is perceived by the first moment of the mind. Emptiness is perceived by the second moment of the mind. Again, we can, you know, classify the emptiness into parts in relation to, you know, what is realized by the first moment, what is realized by the second moment of the mind, what is realized by the third moment of the wisdom, fourth moment of the wisdom, like that. So, by the same token, um, the ultimate reality has many parts, pervading uh, many pervading parts, and has many parts in the sense of being objects of realizations of various temporal moments of the mind, meaning uh, the intense reality by the first moment of the mind, second moment of the mind, and so forth. This can likewise be extended to other uncompounded objects. Then, finally, establish that the whole and its pa- uh, multiple parts are of the same entity. Again, a conclusion, you know, everything concluding. Establish that the whole and its multiple parts are of the same entity, which means on object's level, as they, as they cannot be different entities. Entity-wise, this cannot be different. This is feasible for our deceptive nature. Look, this is feasible for our deceptive nature and not for a truly existent one. Thus, by rejecting true existence as done earlier, all phenomena is established to be empty of true existence. That's it. Okay, so um, by, you know, of course, through our effort of, you know, listening to this Lama Tsongkhapa's very immaculate, very skillful, compassionate, full of wisdom, you know, his sharing of this knowledge to us and our keen interest, you know, and wanting uh, to study this, reflect on this, and meditate on this, and if possible, I would very much suggest you to memorize this whole uh, passage. One, two, three, four, five, six. All two pages, you know, whole two pages. Memorize this. And if possible, say this, you know, every day and then try to reflect on the basis of this. Right? Okay. So, by so doing, surely we have accumulated enormous, enormous amount of merit. And by the power of the, the virtues, the merits that we have accumulated, May we all dedicate them to uh, for the long life of His Holiness the Dalai Lama and accomplishing uh, the hits, you know, his wishes, and for the long life of the Bodhidharma throughout the ten directions of the universe, and that all sentient beings, all sentient beings, all sentient beings, you know, uh, one day, very soon, realize emptiness. And may each of these sentient beings, the root of the suffering that is present in them, be eliminated and finally achieve full enlightenment and that no sentient being is found in samsara. And uh, it's in samsara and as, you know, sentient being, every being in the state of Buddhahood. So we, may, uh, we dedicate that way and then say the, and prayer. <laughs>